The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Thank you, Brianna, so much for leading us. Oh, it's a good day to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. I was telling Brian as I was walking over here, I said um, we, had our, we had our youth lock-in Friday night into Saturday morning, and I said, you know, I, I feel rested, but I just feel like my face looks different. <laughs> this, my face just feels different after a night of, of little to no sleep, but uh, it was a great time. Um, if you were either here or volunteered as, as, a, as a servant to help make that event happen. Raise your hand. Thank God for you. I, man, this, I, man, what a, I, we have the, some of the best leadership here among the volunteers, and I just, I thank God for you. All the great leadership books, Bible included, says that, you know, when, when, a, when a leader is present, sometimes when you just watch them, you won't even be able to tell who the leader is, and that's how it was all night with the lock-in great event uh, had this place was packed and uh, many of the kids here maybe even half maybe even more it was their first time here so the Lord has just been so wonderful to us and we're just very grateful for that uh, turn your Bibles now if you will to first Peter chapter 3 first Peter chapter 3 will continue on throughout the book of first Peter chapter 3 we'll start in verse 18 as you're digging your way there, I, I don't want to turn this into an, an extended announcement time, but I do feel like there are two things in particular that the Lord would have me share uh, before we get to the ever so important piece of, of being in His Word and the preaching of His Word. Uh, so dig your way there and, and leave your bookmark there because we will be there in just a brief moment. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, the first thing I do want to tell you this morning, though, is... Uh, for those of you that may not know, I know most of us all do, we were all part of this. At the start of this new year, we began a prayer journey. Uh, we devoted to 40 days of a guided time of prayer together as a church family uh, for the specific, many, for many reasons in our own families and our own personal lives and all those things, but the overarching theme was that God would give us a vision as a church. Uh, and that this was not something that Pastor Ben just kind of conjured up, but this was something we really felt the Lord's leadership in, and that's what we were praying for. And that all kind of came together on the night of February 9th. That marked the 40th day, the last day in our prayer journey. And we gathered together for a solemn assembly service. And this was simply for a time of, of guided prayer where we were all collectively praying for particular things, unity, forgiveness, all these certain different topics that we prayed through. Uh, and we really focused in on the Lord giving us a vision. And, and the way that we did it was at the very end, what I prompted everyone with was basically saying, if, and I, we supplied writing utensils and pieces of paper for people to write, and we said, if you feel like the Lord, if you don't feel like the Lord has spoken anything to you, then don't write anything down, because that's just your opinion, and I don't really care about that. Nobody else does either, but I mean, you're a professional in your opinion, but that's just you. Um, but if you feel like the Lord has impressed upon your heart, something be it a people group be it a vision be it whatever um, something that he's burdened your heart with just write that down and 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 we'll review that me and the elders would go through it and we will we will see what it is that the lord is is saying to us and uh and it was very interesting what we got from that 
uh, 16 of our 28 responses, so roughly half, uh, were, were all very biblical. They were all very biblical, but uh, they, of these 16, they were biblically influenced, they were godly, and it made me very proud as a pastor to know that this church is guided of God's Word and His Holy Spirit. Uh, there were 12, however, that had a very clear, uniting theme. And I'll give you some of these uh, in, in quotations so you know what some of these, just a handful of these responses were, and it'll become evidently clear what this theme was. Here are some of them. Uh, reach kids through VBS. Another was to help oppressed children. Another was helping young people and giving them guidance, particularly with those that are influenced by drugs, alcohol, etc. Children in need that are in rough homes and foster care in poor communities. Another one was helping with child slavery relief. Another was passion for families with children, reaching out to them who are hurting both on the inside and on the outside to pray for children. Junior high and high school, youth from Johnstown, Alexandria, Utica, Croton, and on and on the list went of that 12, all with the uniting theme of children. Now, that's really no surprise because we know from the very foundation of this church, from the very launch of this church, a heartbeat of the people that God has instilled in the hearts for the people here at this church is children. Now, we don't know what that will look like with skin on yet. And I'm not here to tell you that I've got the grand master plan to tell you exactly how this vision and this, this direction that God is guiding us in is exactly going to look like a year, three years, five years, ten years from now. I don't know. But what I do know is that we have a good shepherd. And he's given us a direction to follow. And I'm trusting that alongside you that we can do this. And, and, and we will trust Jesus. We will follow his leadership in this area. And I'm so very excited about that. Now here's a warning that I'll give for simply those people that were here that night. And perhaps the response you give, gave was one of the 16 that maybe did not have a uniting, a uniting piece to it. What I want to say to you is, is all of those responses were godly. Those were all things that, I mean, you could take those other 16 responses and compile them together and, and, and make that the goal and, and, and you would have a very healthy church, biblically influenced, of God's Holy Spirit, wonderful things that I'm so grateful people put down. But the warning that I will give to those people is that the devil would like to and very well may start to influence your thoughts with things like, well, why didn't I hear from God? Why, what, why, weren't my, why wasn't my response uh, uh, in line with what everyone else said? Am, am I not hearing from God? Church, that, that is what I believe would be a temptation from the devil to get you to doubt yourself, to get you to doubt your faith, to get you to doubt the sincerity of your faith. Now, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that's one thing. But I want to, us to be reminded this morning that when John, the apostle, was on the island of Patmos, God gave him alone, one man, the vision, and then God inspired him to write the entire book of the book of Revelation that you and I are the recipients of the blessing of. So we, and I don't think it would have been right for other Christians in John's day when they were, when they brought the book of Revelation into the canon, what they saw as the entirety of Scripture. I don't think it would have been right for them to then say, well, why didn't God give me that vision? Uh, God does what He will. It's our job to say yes and amen. So, that's, that's what I'm prayerfully trusting that we will all take with grace and certainty. That's thing one. Thing two that I would like to say this morning is um, with this church having been founded roughly 20, 25 years ago, uh, many of the people that were there day one are still here in this room. 
this morning. You've called New Covenant Community Church your home church for a long time now. And, and what I would simply like to say to you, and not just this season of seeking God's vision for our church, but just this season in general, because if you've been with us for the past few weeks, past several months, you know that um, Jesus is changing his bride here in some really sweet and special ways, but ways that may not feel so sweet and special if you've called this church your home and, it's, and, and, and we like our familiarity, proven by all of you sitting in the same spots you did last week. <laughs> We like what's comfortable, we like what's familiar, and, and just as your pastor who loves you, and I mean, I can honestly say I did not expect to love you all this much this, this soon end to my pastor here, but I, I just, I mean, I mean Abby and I, we have just, we have fallen in love with you, and, and we love your families, and, and it just, it brings a tear to my eye just to think of how gracious the Lord has been in bringing out these relationships that we have with all of you, and I just want to say to each of you who have called New Covenant Community Church your home for a number of years, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your service in such a way that will be a, a foundation upon which that God is going to continue doing things in New Covenant Community Church. It's my heart's prayer that when Jesus comes back, that New Covenant Community Church is still a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. And I believe that the faithful members of New Covenant Community Church some that were there from day one and some that have been here for many years. I believe that it's your love. I believe that it's your faithfulness. I believe that it's the Holy Spirit working through you that God is going to use for the next years of the life of His body, of His bride here at New Covenant Community Church to lead us into the future. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you've yet let the Holy Spirit work through you in such a way that such a sweet and wonderful thing would come about. So uh, let's pray this morning, can we? Father, it's, uh, it's so humbling, God, to stand here and to know with certainty that you're leading us. God, I didn't deserve that. No one here did. You just, you've looked upon us with so much grace. And, and if we're your sheep, God, you have been so tender with the flock here. And your loving, gracious voice has so tenderly guided us and called us to follow you. And, and God, that's so sweet. It's so precious that you would do that for us. So God, we, we want to thank you this morning that you're here, that you're among us, and that you are our shepherd. You are a great high priest and you're guiding us. Oh, we love you for it, Jesus. Give us the strength and courage to be obedient sheep that would follow closely behind our loving Savior. And it's in your name we do pray. And everybody said, Amen. All right, our Bibles should be at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We've been in the book of 1 Peter for a while now. And if we could recap what we said last time, the last time, a couple of Sundays ago when we were in the book of 1 Peter, uh, what the Bible says is that he says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Okay, God is, right, is, is through Peter having this book written to his suffering children in this Roman persecution era. And, and, and what God is saying to his, to his bride, to, to his flock, he's saying, who will harm you? Who is it that can even hurt you? If you become followers of what, of what is good, if you become followers of Jesus, there was a man by the name of Justin Martyr who's not in the Bible but around in many other history books that surround this 
time period. And he was quoted, we said this a long time ago, he said once, among a bunch of other officials who were actually the ones persecuting Christians, he says, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. Which is so interesting that he said that, and so did God through Peter in this way. Don't be afraid, child of God. If we could summarize the whole book part of First Peter that we've been through thus far, we could summarize as saying, as God is saying to his children, don't be afraid, child of God. Don't be afraid, flock of God, body of Christ, precious, redeemed children of God. Don't be afraid. Now, today, when we get to verse 18 of chapter 3, we start to begin to unpack the reason as to why. Why not to be unafraid? And I'll simply give the disclaimer here before we read it is that within the portion of text that we'll be in today, there are arguably the most difficult verses to interpret out of the whole scripture, out of the whole Bible. So, it's going to be an interesting morning, and I'm looking forward to going through it with you. Verse 18, chapter 3, 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of filth from the, from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is now at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Everybody say amen if you love God's word. So the first part of this portion of scriptures that we're dealing with, verse 18, is not a difficult one to interpret. This one is very, very simple. And this is actually, this is in a note in my Bible, this is Jaron Hewitt's favorite verse who we baptized just a few months ago. This is one of his favorite verses out of all of scripture. Verse 18, look back at it now if you will, and just to, as a disclaimer, hopefully as we go through the later more difficult portions of text today that you have a notebook or something that you can write with on the back of your bulletin, there's some pens underneath the chairs in front of you, make sure you have something to take notes, I hope that you'll need to take notes throughout today's sermon. Verse 18, this one's easy, for Christ also suffered once, everyone say once, Christ also suffered once the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, the two elements that are highlighted in this verse alone is sin and death. Now, we feel the impact, I say this a lot from here, we deal and feel the impact of sin a lot. Sickness, murder, betrayal, abandonment, heartbreak, all the things that we deal with, those are results of sin. I mean, we experience this all day long, all the time. We take medication for breakfast, problems for lunch, and worry for dinner, okay? I mean, how many of you have been in an argument before, and you've been in a heated argument, by show of hands, you've been in a heated argument, and five minutes later, you think to yourself, you don't even remember what that argument started about. Raise your hand if you're honest. Yeah, a lot of us, okay? You, you, yeah, you, I mean, sin. I mean, that's just a whole sinful situation. The fact that you can't remember what even started it, you're all heated about this thing that you can't even remember, it's an issue of sin. Now, we struggle with sin continually. 
both when before we're saved, certainly, that's the very thing that has condemned us is our sin, our rebellion against God, but also once we're a new create creature and a new heart and a new child, of, I mean, God has made us new, we still struggle with sin. That's why the Bible says things like put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 15, 19, he says, for out, and this is to his disciples, to his inner group of followers. Jesus says, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Those are the things that you and I wrestle with. But here's something that I think is so interesting in what verse 18 of 1 Peter 3 tells us, and it's that Jesus suffered once for sins. The things that you and I struggle with all the time, Jesus dealt with once. So the first thing that I hope you'll take notes on this morning is simply this statement. Jesus is, everyone say Jesus is, the freedom from what defeats us, namely sin and death. Jesus is, he is the freedom of what defeats us. Sin defeats us. And not just sin, but death. It differentiates those two things out because one causes the other. In verse 18, look back up to it if you will. He was put to death, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So the things that was a huge issue for us, sin and death, the things that defeat us, Jesus Jesus frees us from those things. I can remember when I was a kid and... uh, I was, you know, we live in Ohio where it sometimes snows, and in Ohio, a lot of times it'll be raining and then it'll turn to snow, which if it does a lot of that, you know that it'll leave like a crust of ice on the bottom and then the snow on top, and all of you are like, yes, we know, (laughs) we live in Ohio, we get that. And I can remember as a kid, very young boy, I'd be shoveling, and it was very easy for me to shovel off that top layer. It was just fluff. Once it got cold enough, it was just fluffy snow on top. But that layer of, of crunchy, crusty ice underneath I wasn't strong enough to be able to get. And I remember as a young boy, I remember watching my dad come out. I had been out in the driveway shoveling for a little bit. He comes out and he picks up a shovel and he just starts busting through that stuff, the ice, fast. I mean, for him it was easy, very easy. For me, I couldn't even do it. Why? Because inside of him was a strength and a power inside of his body that was totally absent from mine. And what I want to tell you this morning is that inside of us, this dealing with sin and death is this total lack of ability. Inside of Jesus is a total strength and a total power that allows Him to do something completely different than what we or anyone else could do. He alone holds that role. Uh, Buddha struggled with it in the same way you and I do. He died and he remained dead. So did Muhammad. Uh, Brahma, the Hindu god, he never even lived. He was always a fake god. There's nothing inside of those things. There's nothing inside of you and me that can deal with those issues of sin and death. Only one was killed, buried, and raised to life. That's a good time to say amen. His name is Jesus. He gives us the freedom. He is the freedom. So, verse 18, that's the easy part. You ready for the difficult part? If you are, say yes. Verse 19. It says, by whom, which we say by what? By the same Spirit that raised Jesus to life, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom also, verse 19, by whom also he went, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. 
Now, some of the best theologians in the world, um, they'll look at this verse and just say, yeah, I don't know what it means. I mean, that, that's their best interpretation is to say, I don't really know what it means. Um, here's the best stab at it that I'll make from the pulpit of New Covenant Community Church. This verse raises some questions. Who are the spirits? Where's the prison? What is the prison? What was the divine long-suffering? Who are these eight souls that it's referencing? Some of those things. So if we were to answer some of those basic questions, it says, who are the spirits? It's the Greek word pneuma, which usually describes spirits, angels, demons, non-humans. That's usually what it's describing when it's used in other areas of Scripture. Uh, where or what is this prison? As best we can tell from this verse, it's talking about hell. And that's, that's most clearly what we can understand is that's the place that it's talking about, okay? The divine long-suffering in the eight souls. We know the eight souls is referencing Noah here and the days in which Noah was building the ark. And it references the divine long-suffering is what it calls that. The divine long-suffering is essentially the days that it took for Noah to prepare the ark. Verse 19 tells us that. We don't know exactly how long it took to prepare the ark. Um, Ken Ham and all of his organization, with the, we visited the ark as a church together. We've done that already. Uh, their organization, as best they can tell from Scripture, they think it was between like 50 and 60 some odd years, probably no longer than 120. That's the, that's the kind of the range. doesn't really matter. We know it was a period of time, and the Bible calls it the divine long-suffering. And it was simply the period in which evil people were evil, committing all kinds of sin, and God was long-suffering in those days while Noah was completing the ark. Noah and his wife, there's two people, Shem, Ham, Japheth, their three sons and their wives. Those are the eight people represented here in verse 19. So, here are the three most popular interpretations of what's happening here. Because what we can tell from here is that between, between the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus was doing something. And it's, it's describing what he's doing between those two events. So, so, number one, here's the first interpretation that I'll give you and take some notes here to help keep these clear in your mind so interpretation number one Jesus sometime between his crucifixion and resurrection preached in some kind of prison to this hell-like holding place maybe not particularly hell but some kind of prison-like place and he was preaching to people who died in the flood that's one interpretation people that were rebellious that the people that were mocking and jeering at what Noah was doing that Jesus went and preached to those people okay that's that's one of the interpretations a second interpretation that's very common is that Jesus sometime between his crucifixion and resurrection preached in some kind of prison some type of hell-like place to angels that had rebelled in Noah's day now, the verse they get from this is Genesis 6-4, where it explicitly tells us about angels that were sinning with humans. This is very interesting, but not something that's very commonly preached about, but that's another interpretation that Jesus was preaching to angels that were, had fallen, that had rebelled against God, while Noah was building the ark. Okay, so that's interpretation number two. Interpretation number three. Jesus, sometime between his crucifixion and his resurrection, proclaimed hell proclaimed in hell the victory that he had just accomplished over sin and death that's a very common one and where people get that one is genesis three fifteen. which if you remember your bible well you know that in genesis three fifteen, god confronts adam and eve because of their sin and he's telling the devil he's telling them this is the first messianic prophecy that we have in the bible jesus looks at the devil and says you've bru you'll bruise the heel of the Savior, you will produce a non-fatal blow. You'll put Jesus on the cross, devil, but there is coming one who will bruise your head. There will become one who will inflict on you a fatal blow. And we know that when Jesus rose out of the grave, that that was the fatal blow that Jesus brought to sin, to death, and all of the work of the devil. Everybody say amen. That's good news for us. Now, 
Here's just a couple thoughts that I'll give you that I hope you study further in your own Bibles about each one of those three interpretations, okay? And, and some things that I guess don't sit quite right in my spirit with kind of any of these, to tell you the truth. Uh, the first interpretation that Jesus preached to, to some, in some kind of prison to the people that died in the flood, the thing that comes to my mind is Hebrews 9.27, which says it's appointed a man to die once, and after this the judgment, Okay, so that, I guess it doesn't make sense to me as to why people would die and then there'd be like a second chance or something. Uh, but here's what I know is even, it, it, let's say option one is right. Let's say interpretation one is right. The thing that we know is that Jesus is merciful, that he's been dealt very mercifully with these people that rebelled and were making fun of Noah while he was building this ark and were committing all kinds of heinous crimes and sins and, and just willfully disobeying God. So, and we already knew that. We already knew that Jesus was merciful. So that's, even if, even if option one is right, we know that Jesus is merciful, okay? What about the second option? That Jesus, sometime between his crucifixion and resurrection, preached in some kind of hell-like prison to the angels that rebelled in those days. I first think of Hebrews 2.16. It says, for indeed, he, being God, does not give aid to angels, but does give aid to the seed of Abraham. In other words, angels are not given the same offer of redemption that humans are granted, okay? So that's the first thing I think of, but here's what I know, is that even if option two is right, what do we know of Jesus? It's that he's just. He's dealing in a, in a perfectly just way with these angels that have fallen. He's dealing justly with them. What about the third option? Uh, it doesn't really make sense to me that that they, it would be preaching to angels and spirits, even though that's the word it's used when it's directly referencing Noah in the time when he was building the ark, and the eight souls were saved, but none of the other ones. So it doesn't really make sense that it would that he would be preaching to angels. I, I don't know, but but even if even if I'm wrong, even if option three is the right option, and that Jesus between his crucifixion and resurrection actually himself went to hell and proclaimed victory over all of the work of darkness and what he had done and what he had accomplished what we know of jesus is that he was victorious and we already knew that of jesus too everyone say amen so at the very least and i say all that to say basically i don't even know what it means okay but here's what we do know is that jesus is merciful jesus is just and jesus is victorious if you love that about your savior say amen Jesus is merciful, church. He was merciful to Isaiah when Isaiah said, I'm undone because of my sin. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. And it was a merciful thing for God to command that angel, that seraphim, to take that coal and touch Isaiah's lips and cleanse him. That wasn't Isaiah's doing. That was God's doing. And God was merciful to Isaiah when he recognized his brokenness. We know that God is just. Jesus is a just in His judgments. He is just in His judgments. If we were to make the assumption, which I think we can probably make very rightly, that Hitler did not repent of his sins, we can trust that Jesus will deal with him justly. Jesus will deal with murderers justly. Jesus will deal with rapists justly. He's a just God. We can rest knowing that He, he will deal justly with unrighteousness he will he is a good god he is a good judge that deals rightly and what we also know is that he is victorious this does not get any more clear out of genesis three fifteen, when god says there will come one who you will inflict on him the non-fatal blow he'll inflict on you the fatal blow jesus is victorious let all of new covenant community church say amen jesus is victorious now go to verse 21 we're continuing on 
still difficult. I would say not quite as difficult as we move through this text as well. Verse 21, it says, There is also an antitype, which depending on the translation of the Bible you have, might say kind or variety or sort of or a form of. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of filth from the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this verse, excuse me, this verse will sometimes be used by some denominations, some churches, some groups of people in support of what they call baptismal regeneration, which is simply the doctrine or the understanding that one is saved, one is made right, one is made right before God during their baptism, in their baptism. And if we were to just break this down slowly, I think we can see that that's not what the Scripture is saying. Because look at it, if you were to take it backwards, take the, take the logic that it's teaching and look at it backwards. It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So everything prior to what the verse is saying, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ that everything else, else is through. So what is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We have the option to have a good conscience toward God through baptism. So what it's very clear to tell us is that baptism does not promise the removal of filth from the flesh. The baptism is not where we become clean before God. Baptism is not for that. It's not for repentance. But what it is for is to ensure that we have a good conscience toward God. Now, I think this is also why when we looked at the verses previously in a couple, couple sermons ago, 1 Peter 3 and verse 16, what God was saying through Peter, it says, have a good conscience toward God that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So it goes in line with what was previously written. God is writing, God is saying, and what Peter is the pen being written through God's words is that we are to have a good conscience before God. We're to be able to go home at night to lay our head on our pillow, which all of us did after the lock-in at about early mid-morning after we went home. You lay your head on your pillow at night, and you say, I served God today. I was obedient to what Jesus has called me to do today. And you find this to be true all throughout Scripture when people really understood the forgiveness that God was giving them. Zacchaeus, I, here's, I give it all away. Give half of all I own. I'm paying back four times anybody I've robbed from. Peter falls at the feet of Jesus when he realizes who he is. Says, I'm an unclean man. Depart from me. And then, G and then Peter just departs from everything that he had, all of his fishing livelihood, and just follows Jesus. The demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus miraculously heals, immediately, what does it say? That the man wants to get in the boat and follow Jesus. The, 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 uh, the response of someone who is truly saved is just, whatever Jesus says to do, I'll do it. He's my Savior, He's my Lord, He's my Shepherd, I'll just do it. So this is why I would say to someone who says that they are saved and understands the biblical mandate, the command to be baptized, and says, well, I don't need to be baptized, what I would say to that person is, you're not saved. If you understand what baptism is, and, and who wouldn't want that? That we would have an act of worship, an act, something that we do that, that, that tells the world and the whole church that we are, the old man is gone, the new man is here, and it's all because of Jesus. Like, what a special, sweet gift. Why wouldn't somebody want that? So the person who is saved and understands baptism will be like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch who just says, well, where's water? I, we need water. I need to be baptized. Is there anything that prohibits me from being baptized? Baptize me. So the thing that we know here, the overarching theme, when we look past all the little intricacies that we've just gone through, is simply this statement. Jesus is your resurrection. Jesus is your resurrection 
from death. All these things that it's saying about baptism, none of that would be if it wasn't for the last piece of that verse through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you tell that I'm excited about Easter yet? Oh, it's going to be good. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look to verse 22. And we'll get ready to close here in just a moment. Verse 22. Who, still speaking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God? Church, if Jesus, look up this way for just a quick moment. If Jesus is leading you and me, not you following Pastor Ben and all his great ideas, no. If you and me, as equal children of God, redeemed people, if He's leading us, the one at the right hand of God is leading you and me. That puts a smile on my face. The one who is leading me, continue on in that verse, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Our leader is in authority of all those things. Our leader, our shepherd, is authorities and powers and everything, anything that could ever flex its muscles have been made in subjection to Him. That is our God. That is our leader. That's our shepherd. That's the one that we follow at New Covenant Community Church. That's what we're doing. That's why we're here. We're following Him. Now, if you want to turn your Bibles now, I'd ask for everybody to go over to John chapter 14. I'll give you a moment to get there. And Brian, as soon as we're done with this verse, I'll ask you to come. As soon as we're done reading this, I want everybody to be able to look at it. John chapter 14. And I say this every week about a different scripture, but arguably my favorite portion of text in all of scripture. John chapter 14. To go along with this idea, to wash our minds with the truth of God's word of who our leader is and what our leader is doing now. John chapter 14, look to verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If that's good to you, say amen. Guys, the, the, the Master, the Savior that we serve and follow. Isn't it interesting to think that if God could... I mean, the world is beautiful. Even in our sin-cursed condition, food we've never tasted uncursed food. We have never seen anything through uncursed eyes. This cursed condition in which we reside. In all of its beauty and all the enjoyments and pleasures and things that are still amazing, even in a cursed condition, God made all of it in six days. And what this Bible tells us, what God's Word tells us, is that for however long Jesus has been ascended into heaven, that He's been making mansions for you and me. If that's sweet, say amen. Church, and Brian, if you would lead us and begin to guide our hearts into worship. Jesus is the freedom from what defeats us. 
He is such a safe haven, not just for the sinner who does not know the Lord, but even for you and me who know the Savior and know our shepherd. He's a safe haven for us to run to. Jesus is merciful, just, and victorious. And no matter how politically incorrect that is, I don't care. That is the truth, and that is who my Savior is. Merciful, just, and victorious. And Jesus is the person of Jesus. He is our resurrection from death. A dear friend of mine whom I know many of you have gotten to know, Jim, uh, he's not here this morning, but uh, his mother passed away this morning. And messaging his wife last night, and one of the first questions I asked was, does she know the Lord? And she says, absolutely. And I said, she's got a mansion waiting for her. Do you have a mansion waiting for you? Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't. Jesus is only making mansions for people that He knows. For people who have repented. For people who have come to the place in their life where they, like Isaiah said, Lord, I am unclean before You. And the cleanliness that I need can't come from within myself. It must be something from You. So my prayer, my hope this morning is that each and every one of us has a mansion that maybe is already built, maybe being built right now but that we have a mansion being prepared for us. Would you stand as we pray? Father, oh God, you just, you overwhelm our hearts with the promise of who you are. The reason that the church in 64 AD didn't need to be afraid is the same reason that we don't need to be afraid. It's the same reason even still. It's because You're perfect. It's because You're a good God. It's because You're just that when people wrong us, we don't need to get right. You will deal justly with them. When, when we are redeemed, we are truly forgiven. We have Your identity, God. God, I could preach for a thousand years and feel so inadequate to even begin to describe who it is that you are. So God, as we grow in your grace and the knowledge of who it is that you are, Father, I pray we would be a people not to be mentally and academically tripped up to forget to see who it is, that the basic of who it is that you are, that you are a redeemer, that you're a shepherd, that you're a loving God, and it's your will that none should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of the truth. Father, let us be a people of your truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Do you know the truth this morning? That Jesus sets sinners free. Let's pray and respond as we sing together.